The reading today is taken from John 4, verses 1 to 30. Heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking to a woman. But no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Thank you, Johan. You might find it helpful to have that passage open. It's on page 91 of the New Testament section of the Bible. Before we begin, let me pray. Lord, as we come to your word, please open our minds and touch our hearts that we might become the kind of worshippers that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. When you hear the word worship, I wonder what comes to mind. If you were to picture a person who worshipped God in a way really pleasing to him, I wonder who and what you would picture. In today's reading, Jesus and his disciples are travelling 
between the two Jewish regions of Judea in the south and Galilee in the north, and they take the direct route through Samaria. When they get to a well, Jesus stops to rest while his disciples go into the city to buy some food. So Jesus is alone at this well when a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Jesus talks to her, and by the end of the conversation, when the disciples come back, the woman is so excited that she's forgotten all about her water jar, she runs back into the town and calls others to come and meet Jesus. And if you skim on to the next few verses, 31 to 38, you'll find Jesus is also somehow now so energised that he's forgotten his tiredness and his hunger, and he's rejoicing in the spiritual harvest that he now sees to be so ripe. So what is it in this conversation that seems to so excite both the woman and the Lord Jesus? It starts with a discussion about water, well water and living water. It moves on to these revelations about the woman's personal life, then a question about worship, and finally the Messiah. There's all kinds of things we could learn from this wonderful conversation, but tonight we're specifically focusing on what we can learn about worship. And as we do, I hope you'll see something of how this passage fits together and of how this woman, perhaps surprisingly, seems to exemplify the kind of worship that God desires. Let me reread verse 23. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. The first thing we learn from this passage about worship is that God seeks worshippers. Religion is often perceived as humans seeking after God, but the Bible tells us the much more fundamental reality is that God is seeking us. That's why Jesus came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And here, God is seeking worshippers. His desire, his longing is that we should know him, should love him, should draw near to him in worship. But who is it? What kind of people that God seeks that he wants to be worshipping him? In a few minutes, we'll try to unpack this little phrase, worshipping in spirit and truth. But before that, I'd like us to observe who it was that Jesus first spoke these words to. Who was it that Jesus invited to become his worshipper? It's the Samaritan woman. In verse 7, she comes to draw water and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. I don't know what you think about Jesus' opening line there. Stories in the Gospels are written so concisely that if we read them too quickly, we can sometimes miss the point. So I'd like you now to try and imagine that you were that woman or a bystander at the well. Give me a drink. What would that request have meant to the woman? 
in verse 9, she responds, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? As background, it's important to know that there had been centuries of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. In the Old Testament, after the kingdom of Israel split in two, the Jews, including Jesus, were descended from the two southern tribes, while the ten northern tribes, after being conquered by Assyria, had intermarried with other people that Assyria brought to live in their land, and so the Jews looked down on them as mixed race. The Jews, in general, despised the Samaritans, avoided contact with them, and particularly didn't want to pollute themselves by using the same vessels for eating and drinking. Hence, the woman is surprised. How could it be that this Jew was willing to accept a drink from her? Because by asking for a drink, she's implying, by asking for a drink, Jesus is implying he's willing to accept a drink from her. And furthermore, he was a man and she was a woman. And in their day, most devout Jewish men would not speak to women alone in public, none, even less ask for a drink from them. Hence, in, when the disciples return, they are, are astonished to find Jesus speaking with a woman. And as the conversation continues, I think the woman's amazement at Jesus' request must have only grown because gradually she perceives something of who he is. Initially, verse 12, she's disparaging. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? But by verse 19, she's saying, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. And by the end of the conversation, she seems to believe that he is, or at least could be, the Messiah. What's more, she discovers that he knows who she is. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. Even today, such a string of broken relationships might raise a few eyebrows. And surely in the first century, it was scandalous, which we may presume is why this woman is coming to the well alone in the heat of the day, not in the evening when most people came. But to this Samaritan woman, Jesus says, give me a drink. I think probably in most cultures, Eating and drinking implies a willingness to enter into relationship. How must she have felt that he is willing to accept a drink from her? The more I've reflected on Jesus' request, the more it seems his acceptance of her is not only surprising, it's absolutely disarming. And as the conversation goes on, he doesn't only ask for a drink, he offers to give her what he calls living water. He shares deep theological truths with her and invites her to become a true worshipper. Who does God invite to worship him? Whoever you are, whatever you've done, God invites you and me.
There may be some here this evening who wouldn't yet call yourselves Christians. Perhaps you're here with a friend and they've been coming to church for ages. You haven't. Or there's something in your past or in your present that you're deeply ashamed of. You're attracted to Jesus, but you're wondering, could I really become his worshipper? God seeks worshippers, and the invitation is to everyone. And it's to everyone because true worship is not about externals or about the past. After Jesus has revealed his knowledge of her lifestyle, she perhaps understandably tries to change the subject. Verse 20, she raises what was then a thorny, a controversial issue. Verse 20, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. Another difference between the Jews and the Samaritans was that the Jews accepted the whole of what we call the Old Testament, the Samaritans only the first five books. And because of that, the Samaritans had concluded that Mount Gerizim, mentioned in Deuteronomy and very near this well, was where God should be worshipped rather than Jerusalem. I wonder how you would have responded to this woman's, the issue she raises. Jesus replies in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 23, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Rather than getting bogged down in the past, Jesus is looking to the future. He knows that with his coming, questions of geography are becoming irrelevant. No single place will be the exclusive right place for worship. Why? Because, as is stated in verse 24, God is spirit. And what matters is that those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean, to worship in spirit and in truth? I'm sure whole books have been written on this phrase. You might be glad to know I haven't read them. Um, tonight, I just want to share a few thoughts about what we can see from this passage to understand this phrase. From Jesus' words to the woman and from her response True worship is worship in the spirit. I think this follows on from the earlier part of the conversation. In verse 10, Jesus has talked about living water. He's offered to give it to this woman. And in verse 13, he explains, everyone who drinks of this, meaning the well water, will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water I give them will never be thirsty the water that I give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. What would the woman have understood from what Jesus said? This living water is something that somehow truly satisfies our thirsts. And there's an interesting picture because normally from a spring, you get a drink. 
But Jesus is saying, he'll give us a drink that becomes a spring. Somehow it multiplies. And it's internal, so we can drink from it any time. Suppose one of our young people goes off to play sport, and maybe their parent says, take a bottle of water with you so that you won't get thirsty. What does the parent mean? Obviously, carrying a bottle of water doesn't stop you getting thirsty, but it means that when you do get thirsty, you can have a drink. You needn't stay thirsty. And I think Jesus' meaning here is similar. So this living water, it's something, I think the woman could have understood, it's something Jesus gives to be inside us, abundant, life-giving, always available, and deeply satisfying. The woman might not have fully understood, but what Jesus is saying here, it's similar to what he says elsewhere. In John chapter 7, we find a similar verse. If I can have John 7 on the screen, thank you. Here, Jesus at a Jewish festival cries out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Okay, same image, living water, but this time not springs, but rivers. And verse 39 explains, he said this about the spirit. So, while the woman might not have fully understood, we can understand that it's the Holy Spirit that gives life, that energizes, that satisfies our hearts, that helps us to know God's love and relate to God as Father and worship him. A true worshipper, one who worships in spirit, is surely someone who has drunk Jesus' living water, who has the Holy Spirit living in them. So how do we become such a worshipper? How do we get this living water? In John 7, it referred to coming and believing. In John 4, it's simply by asking. Verse 10, Jesus said to her, If you knew who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. How does the woman respond? Verse 15, Sir, give me this water. Perhaps her understanding was limited, but she wanted what Jesus was offering. Is that how we respond? Lord, I don't understand everything you're saying, but please give me your living water, your spirit. For those of us who've known Christ for some time, is this picture of a gushing spring currently our experience? As believers, we may have times when we feel dry, feel thirsty. I certainly have. To use the analogy earlier, could it be that we're carrying a water bottle, but we've forgotten to drink? Towards the, last, towards the end of my last period abroad, I felt very dry. Now, in retrospect, looking back, I'm thinking maybe 
I was like a very foolish sports person, running around the pitch, trying to get other people to drink from the water bottle and forgetting to drink myself. If you're feeling dry, are you drinking enough? No one can drink for us, each of us. The invitation is to come, to ask, to drink. Let's keep coming to Jesus for a fresh filling of his spirit. Finally, true worship is worship in truth. John's Gospel, many of you may remember, at the beginning, John introduces Jesus as being full of grace and truth. And I think we see both clearly in this passage. Because on the one hand, Jesus is graciously offering the woman this living water. But he also speaks truth to her. Truths that maybe weren't comfortable to hear. The woman seems proud of being a Samaritan, especially of living near Jacob's well and near this holy Mount Gerizim. But in response to her question on worship, in verse 22, Jesus replies, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus says, it doesn't matter where you worship, but it does matter what or who you worship. And he states plainly that it's the Jews, not the Samaritans, who have the more complete knowledge of God and through whom salvation will come. The Samaritans also were expecting a Messiah, but because they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, they were expecting a prophet like Moses. They were not expecting a Jewish descendant of David. Would this Samaritan woman accept that the Messiah was a Jew? That the Messiah was Jesus? It seems that she did. Earlier, Jesus had told her to go and call her husband. In fact, she goes and calls the whole town to come and meet Jesus, saying, could this be the Messiah? What about us? When God's truth, when the Bible's teaching offends our pride, or our tightly held personal beliefs, or popular society's opinion, will we accept it? Will we let God be God? Let his word define what is true. And not only truth about God, before that Jesus has also confronted the woman with uncomfortable truth about her own life. And again, she has responded with remarkable integrity. In verse 18, when Jesus says, you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. I can't help thinking that if this woman was a 21st century Brit, she might have responded with, with some very colourful language and told him where to go. But this woman, okay, she tries to change the subject, but first she says, sir, I see that you are a prophet. She acknowledges that what he has said is the truth. Note here that Jesus is in no way condemning this woman. Indeed, it's clear from earlier, from 
his loving acceptance of her is clear from his initial request for a drink, his offer to give her living water. But perhaps Jesus is probing whether she's willing to be honest about herself, about the state of her life, to admit her need for his living water, water that can cleanse and give new life, that can satisfy her battered, bruised and thirsty heart. What about us? Will we accept not only the truth about who God is, but the truth about who we are? Secure in the assurance of God's acceptance of us, will we let him shine his light on those areas of our lives that we're ashamed of? Let him cleanse and renew us. Finally, notice we're to worship in spirit and truth. It's not either or, they go together. Later in John's Gospel, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. If you ever hear anyone suggesting that the Bible teaches this, but the Spirit is guiding us to do that, beware. The Spirit and God's truth will not pull in different directions. So what does this mean for us? Firstly, God seeks worshippers. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, he wants us to worship him. Secondly, to be a true worshipper, we need his life-giving spirit, his living water. Will we, like the woman, say, Sir, give me this water, be that for the first time or the thousandth time? And will we worship him in truth, humbly seeking and submitting to the truth about who he is and the truth about who we are? Let's have a moment of quiet. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace towards us. We thank you that you invite us to worship you. Please help us, like this woman, to humbly welcome your truth and your spirit that we might live lives of worship truly pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.